Hey, we're, we're into our series on Romans, and last week we talked about um, the theme that uh, is on the, for the front of our, our Bible study cover. Uh, I know groups have already started to meet, and if you're not part of a group, uh, there are a few groups still that you could join, um, that you could talk to someone at the group life desk in the lobby. Or if you want to go through that study on your own, you can, you can uh, pick up a Bible study guide, and that would be a, a great tool to keep you engaged in this, in this series in the book of Romans. Last week, we talked about the, the, the theme of the courtroom to the living room. The courtroom being a metaphor for that doctrine of justification in which we come into the courtroom, we stand before a holy God, and coming knowing our sinfulness, and our sinfulness separates us from God, we walk in that courtroom knowing that a holy God, our judge, has paid our sin penalty through his son, Jesus Christ. Christ goes to the cross. He dies there as a substitute for you and I. He pays our sin penalty for us. And by faith in Christ, his righteousness can be, can be delivered to us. We, we are dressed in his righteousness. And so we stand before the judge. And the judge says to you and to me, not guilty because of our faith in Christ. So we have that interaction with the judge in the courtroom. And, and yet, while that is a, ne- a necessity to enter the courtroom, we don't live out our life of faith there. We, we know he's judge, and, and yet we walk out of the courtroom living a new life of faith, and we walk and we live out faith in the living room. And we live out faith in, in this living room, which is a metaphor for the doctrine of adoption. Uh, we, we read some of the verses from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, as Laura was leading us in worship. They were on the screen there. That now we're no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves to sin. But now we, we're, we're sons and daughters. That we, we have a Father in heaven who loves us, and we have an inheritance. We are heirs in Christ. And so the theme, we set that up last week of, of moving, the courtroom is necessary. And as we begin our study of the book of Romans, there'll be a lot of courtroom language. But the necessity of the courtroom is important, but we move to the living room because we live out our, our life of faith there, knowing that we have a holy God, but also knowing that we have a loving Father. And this week, we're, we're going to start diving into the, uh, uh, the first pages of, of Romans. And as we do, remember, the, remember the, uh, the epic movie, Lord of the Rings, or if you've read the book by J.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings? Uh, in the movie, uh, there, there's this scene in which, uh, in which Sam asks his friend Frodo a very important question. Sam asks his friend Frodo this, this question. He says, I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. It's an important question because Sam realizes that his story is part of a larger story. They've left the Shire, and they've seen more wonders and experienced more danger than they ever could have imagined. There's the battle on Weathertop, the flight to the Ford. There's the beauty of Rivendale. They've gone to the dark mines of Moria, and they've lost their beloved Gandalf. And now these two hobbits... Are, are, are heading into the shadow of Mordor, and, uh, and they've, they've got their packets, their, their, and their backpacks, and all their kitchen utensils sort of tied to the back, and they're making their way forward to save the world. And Sam asked the question, I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. You see, their story is part of a larger story, and it's a question worth asking as we begin our series in Romans, because... Uh, Life does not come to us, John Eldridge in his book, uh, Epic, says life does not come to us like a math problem to be solved. Life comes to us scene by scene, chapter by chapter. And our story is part of a larger story. 
And if we don't know the larger story, we'll be like that person who shows up for a movie an hour late, asking all those annoying questions that no one else is asking, right? Because we're trying to get our feel. We're trying to get it. What's going on here? How come that's happening? Who is that? As we enter into the story in the book of Romans, the letter, of, the letter that we call Romans is, is a story that's part of a larger story. So today what I want to do is I want to set the larger context for us so that as we engage in our study, as we engage in our reading, that we will understand what sort of tale we've fallen into. Here's how I want to do that. I want to give you two stories and a question. First story is Paul's story. I'm going to talk about who he is and what's going on in his life and what, what prompts him to write this letter. The second story I want to look at is the story of the church in Rome. Why is Paul writing to them? What's going on in the church of Rome that's significant to know? And then we'll ask the question at the end as we look back at those two stories and say, so what does that have to do with my story? Those two stories happened thousands of years ago. What's that got to do with me here today, October 2011, Salem, Oregon? Two stories and a question. So let me just dive in with that first story and Paul's story. I'm going to give you a bit of background information because it's important to understanding what's happening here in this letter. Paul, Paul is, he's been raised in Judaism, and when this, this new religious sect called Christianity launches on the day of Pentecost, Paul is one of those people who is a persecutor. He's a church persecutor. He's there when that first martyr is killed, Stephen. He's there. He's given the approving nods. He's holding the cloaks. Actually, they're at his feet. But he's guarding people's possessions as they're putting Stephen to death. And this guy becomes very passionate about crushing and squashing this new religion that started on the day, uh, on the day of Pentecost as the Spirit comes down. Now... Paul, he ends up going to leaders and he's gathering, uh, he's gathering uh, permission to go and hunt down these Christians, throw people in prison and, and uh, take away possessions. Some are even put to death, we're, we're told. He, he gets permission then even to travel to foreign cities and find out where Christians are as well and do the same in those foreign cities. And on one of his trips, he's headed to a, a place called Damascus. He's riding horseback, and he has a little bit of an interruption on his way to, to, to Damascus. Encounters the very one that he's persecuting, Jesus. And Paul, Paul's life is transformed. He's just completely changed and transformed. You see, he goes from church persecutor to church planter. His, his zeal to crush this new thing called Christianity goes to wanting to plant it in as many places around the world as he can possibly do. And so he, he goes to Damascus, he, he meets some people there who are very suspicious of him, ends up going down to Arabia, read about that in, in the book of Galatians. He goes back to Damascus, and back, he eventually goes back to his hometown, uh, uh, it's called Tarsus, and he's, and he's there. And while he's in Tarsus, back in Jerusalem, persecution is happening, and Christians are being scattered all around the known world. And as Christians are being scattered, uh, um, th- there's this new church that, that gets going in a place called Antioch, Antioch of Syria. Jewish believers go up there, and they're telling people about Jesus, that he's the, that he's the Messiah, and Greeks are hearing about it, and now they're becoming Christians which was pretty strange because these are the first Gentiles that start coming to Christ in a, in a church setting. 
So now we have this unusual church happening in Antioch. The leaders in Jerusalem hear about it. They send Barnabas up there. Barnabas sees it's a good work. And, and in fact, what he ends up doing is he travels to Tarsus and he gets Paul and he brings Paul to Antioch to do church ministry in this unique setting where Jews and Gentiles are worshiping Christ together. That's very important to understand as we, as we look at this letter of Romans. Because when Paul writes his letter, he will be writing to another unique church made up of Jews and Gentiles. So here's Paul in Antioch, and, and somewhere along the way in his, in his ministry there in Antioch with, with other leaders, and uh, leaders like Barnabas and, and others, uh, the Holy Spirit says during one worship time, set apart from me, Paul and Barnabas, they're gonna be missionaries, they're gonna be sent out, and Antioch ends up becoming a home base for Paul, Barnabas, and other missionaries to be sent out, and Paul will travel around the Eastern Mediterranean he will be planting churches, and he'll come back to Antioch, and he'll do the slideshows. Not really. He'll just tell people about what, what's been happening uh, in all these different cities as he has been talking about Christ. He'll share the stories. And, uh, and what, what we're going to see here is that Paul, uh, he's, he's preached the gospel in all these regions that are around Antioch, but but now, he, he, he's a pioneer missionary. He has this call to preach Christ where Christ has not been heard. He's preached in all these regions, and so they have heard. So he needs some new territory to go to to preach the gospel. So he needs a new home base. Let me show you this on, on a map up here. Throw the map there if you would, Ron. So here's a map of the Mediterranean as it, as it is today. Right above the A in, in Syria, that would be where Antioch is uh, in Paul's day. That would be where Antioch is. And so he's been traveling, he's been going from Antioch, he's gone all through, like he goes as far uh, west as Corinth, he's in places like Ephesus and Turkey. In fact, if you throw all the dots up there of cities that he went to and preached the gospel, that whole eastern side of the Mediterranean would just be covered with dots where, where Paul went. And he would go back to Antioch and, uh, and he would share the stories of what God's doing. But now he has his eyes set on some new frontiers. He wants to take the gospel to Spain. But the problem is, is that Spain is so far away, he needs a new home base. He needs some place that's close to Spain that he can launch from. And so he's hoping that his new home base can be right smack dab in the middle there, Italy, uh, could be Rome. And so what he's going to do is he's going to write this letter to the church of Rome and say, hey, my, new, my home base has been Antioch. I want you to be my new home base because I want to take the gospel to Spain and preach it there. So that's what's happening. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. I want to show this uh, to you from this letter. Stick a finger in Romans chapter 1 at verse 8. Now, once you've got your finger there, Keep it there, but then turn and go to Romans chapter 15, verse 23. Put a finger there. Here's what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 13, and then pick it up in chapter 15, verse 23, and it's going to read like an unbroken sentence. And you'll see this. You'll see what I've just described to you on this map. I've told you about Paul's story, about his heart to go now to Spain and to have the church in Rome partner with him. So if you've got your Bibles open there, stand up with me. I want to read these verses for us as we read God's word together. I'll read, and if you follow along, that'd be great. Verse 8 of chapter 1. 
First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Now go to chapter 15, verse 23. We'll pick it up there. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings... They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. This is God's holy word, and you may be seated. Okay, did you see it? Paul is writing a letter. I want to come to you, and I want, I want, to part, I want you to partner with me because I'm going to take the gospel to Spain. But here's the deal. Paul's got a few problems. First problem is he, he's, he didn't plant the church in Rome. He's never been to Rome. He's met some people from Rome, but he didn't plant that church. And he wants this church to be his new home base. And another problem he has is that they're like number four on his priority list. I don't know if you picked it up in chapter 15. Paul says, hey, I'm in, uh, I'm, I'm in Asia Minor, I'm in Macedonia, or what is modern-day Turkey. I'm in Turkey, and I want to go to Spain. But first, got to go to Jerusalem and deliver this offering. And then on my way to Spain, I'm going to drop by you. And by the way, I want you to partner with me in supporting me as I go to Spain. Now, you imagine you're sitting on a table, and you read this letter from this guy you've never met before. And he wants you to partner with him. And you're like, you're like number four. He's going all over the place. And, and he wants you to be his, his new home base. So Paul's got some persuading to do. Paul's got some talking to do about why this church should partner with him, which is why we get 14 chapters between chapter 1 and chapter 15. 14 chapters in which Paul will articulate masterfully this gospel that reveals the righteousness of God. And by the way, church in Rome, this is the gospel that has established you. And so we want to see this gospel establish more people all around the world, and I want you to partner with me. That's that's Paul's story and what prompts him to write this letter to the church in Rome. If you were to put a chapter heading on Paul's story, it would simply be Pioneer Missionary, with eyes set on new frontiers. Which leads us to the church in Rome. They get this letter, and Paul, we already said, Paul didn't plant this church. So who did? 
we don't really know. We, we get clues that in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, we get clues that, that at Pentecost, there were visitors there in Jerusalem from Rome. And when Peter preaches that gospel, remember they're wondering, what in the world is going on in this upper room? Have you guys been drinking? It sounds like you guys are all drunk and has all this racket. And, um, and Peter steps out and he delivers this very politically correct message. It goes something like this. God sent his son. You killed him. You're in big trouble. It's a wonderful three-point message. If you ever need one, just go to Acts chapter 2. God sent his son. You killed him. You're in big trouble. We got people from all around the world who were there for that feast of Pentecost, and we have visitors from Rome. They hear the message, and so we could imagine that they would take this gospel message that's taking root in their hearts back to Rome. And as they get back to Rome, the church begins to grow. Jewish believers are are sharing their faith with other Jewish believers. And by the way, we know from the book of Romans that Gentiles are also hearing about Christ. So now we have Gentile believers as well, which is exactly what happened in Antioch, remember? Jews and Gentiles in the church in Rome. And they're, they're growing in their faith together. Rome is a very difficult place to be a Christ follower. Because in Rome, the most powerful person in the world lives. His name is Caesar. And his lordship is absolute. It's a very dangerous thing to say anyone else is lord in, the city, in this imperial city, Rome. Because your life could be in danger for uttering those words. And their faith is being heard about all over the world. We read that in chapter 1. And, and so in this church, we have Gentiles and Jews who are growing together. And then around AD 49, we know politically that something happens in Rome. There's historical documents that tell us that there's this internal squabble in the city. It's among Jewish people. It's about this this man named Crestus, which we know to be Christ. This man named Crestus has caused this feuding, this debating between uh, Orthodox Jews and Jewish followers of Crestus. And it becomes so so heated that it reaches the ears of, of the Senate and the emperor... So Emperor Claudius, he doesn't give a rip about uh, Crestus or these Jews. And so what he does is he writes an edict that every person of Jewish descent is to be evicted from Rome. This happens in AD 49. This is why in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, we have people like Aquila and Priscilla who meet Paul in Corinth. And it says right there, they were part of the people who were evicted from, from Italy. So here we have a church in Rome... AD 49, everyone of Jewish descent is evicted from Rome, which leaves just Gentiles there. And so for five years, the Gentiles are running the church. Five years later, Nero becomes the emperor. Claudius dies. So we have a chance. So Jews start coming back five years later to Rome. And as they come back to their church, things have changed. The the Gentiles are on the governing board. The Gentiles are the the elders. The Gentiles are preaching and teaching. The the Gentiles are are choosing the songs. The Gentiles are picking out the color of the carpet and painting the walls. And the Jews come back and they have a bit of a a superiority complex. And so what we have is we have some some feuding in, in the church. Let me just help you get a feel for this. Um... If you are age 44 and younger, I want you to stand up. Age 44 or younger, stand up. All right, now look around the room. 
All of us who wish we were 44 or younger. We look around the room, all right? Here's the deal. Imagine the governor of the state of Oregon writes an edict and says, I'm tired of people age 45 and above. You're a pain. And uh, you get evicted from the state of Oregon. So every one of us, age, me included, age 45 and older, we're, we're, we're evicted. And those people who are standing right now, you're in charge. All right? You're making decisions for years. All right? The church is in your hands. And then five years later, we get a new state, a new governor of our state. And this, this governor says, any person, any age can live in Oregon. So we all come back. And we come back. And you guys have been running the church. And we're not sure if we like how things have been going. We've listened to the podcasts. All right? And there's this potential for conflict. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. There's this potential for conflict. Now, that is just barely scratching the surface because we're talking about ages and generations there. What's happening in Rome is we have, we have racial tension between Jew and Gentile, which is why when Paul writes his letter, you start reading chapter 2, and he starts talking, you know, Jews, stop judging those who don't do this because you're doing things in your own heart. Gentiles, you should treat people this way. What he's speaking to, he's speaking to this conflict that's taking place in the church. In chapter 11, he'll, he'll talk about the Gentiles and say, you have been grafted in like a wild branch into this tree. But don't forget, don't live in such a way that, that, that you're ignoring God's commands. And don't treat people poorly because God did cut off other branches and he could cut off your branch as well. You will read all through the book of Romans this conversation with Jews, conversations with Gentiles, and the book of Romans will end with things like love one another, serve one another, prefer one another. Paul is laying out the pathway to peace in a conflicted church living in a difficult place. In fact, that's the chapter heading. The first story, Paul's story, the chapter heading is Pioneer Missionary, Eyes Set on New Frontiers. The Roman church's story, their chapter heading would be a conflicted people living in a difficult place. Pioneer Missionary, People in Conflict. Uh, years ago, I won't tell you how many years ago, I was in high school and I graduated from high school. Um, and um, I, I got a job to go to college. My job was carrying supplies up a mountain in, in Hong Kong where I lived. Uh, there was this island that had a mountain on it, and there was a camp up top, and so I, uh, I would backpack supplies up this mountain. Now, um, I could, we were allowed to carry a maximum of 70 pounds each day, six days a week. I would, I would load up my backpack with right up to 70 pounds, because I wanted to earn as much money as possible for college. So I'll never forget my first day. I mean, I go to the grocery store. I'm loading up my backpack. I get on this ferry, about an hour boat ride out to this island. I get off the ferry at the island, hop on a bus. I got this giant backpack, and it's full of stuff. It's heavy. And I get off the bus with, with some buddies, and we start making our way down this trail to climb up this mountain. And the, the, the bottom quarter of the mountain is, is just jungle. And as we walk into the jungle, the, the 95 degree heat is starting to hit us. Uh, the air in the, that jungle area is just stagnant. The humidity is in the 90 percentile. 
So now the humidity, the humidity and the heat have a stranglehold on me. And I'm starting to feel it. I'm not far along on this journey as I'm climbing the mountain where I'm starting to feel my head spin a little bit. And so I'm stopping and I'm leaning up against a tree and I'm drinking water and I'm just trying to pace myself to keep going. And as I keep going in this, in this, uh, in this really just this very hot and humid uh, jungle, I'm, I am, I, I'm seeing flashes of light in front of my eyes and, and my, my legs are cramping. Um, and, uh, and then my body starts, you know, a rebellion, and uh, my stomach empties itself of all that's in it. Uh, I got pictures. Hold on, let me show you. No, just... Uh, I, I'm, 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 I don't know if I'm going to make it. So I'm stopping in the jungle. I'm leaning against a, a tree, and, um, and I just, you know, if I can just keep going, if I can get past the tree line... And up there, we're, we're, we're above the trend. There'll be breezes that'll be blowing. It'll be a little bit cooler, and I can just sort of catch my, my strength back, perhaps. And, and I do just put one foot in front of the other and make my way out of that jungle and get to the top of that tree line. I throw myself back on that rock, take off the pack of 70 pounds, and, and there is a bit of a cool breeze, and it's cooling me down, and I feel like I have a little bit more strength. Um, and I look up, and about 500 yards from where I'm at, um, continuing up this mountain is a waterfall. Now, don't think like Multnomah Falls. Think like small little trickle coming off a rock. I know there's a pool there. It's about the size of a bathtub. And I tell myself, if I can make it there, I, I know that uh, I, can, I can get some of my strength back. I can be revived, renewed, refreshed. And So I put the pack back on, and I make my way up the mountain, and I get to that waterfall, throw the pack off again, and just throw myself in that pool and cool my body down. I can't even describe the, the feeling of, of refreshment as, as I just felt that cold water on my body. And I'm drinking right off that, that mountainside, letting that stream, that water just, uh, just pour into my mouth. And man, I can just feel my body, you know, like clapping and cheering. Yay, we're out of the jungle. And and then I go in my backpack and I pull out an orange and I'm, I'm eating an orange. I'm trying to get some sugars into my, into my system to gain my strength back. And, uh, and eventually, after about a half hour at that waterfall, I feel like I can make the rest of the journey to the top. And I did that, 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 uh, that thing six days a week for three months um, to, to earn money for college. Now, here's why I share that story. We've had these two stories. And now we've got our question. What does that have to do with me? 2,000 years ago, 30 or 40 years after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, what does those two stories have to do with my story? Here's what they have to do with our story. You see, because we're on a journey with Christ, and we start out, we walk out of that courtroom, we start in our journey, and uh, somewhere along the way, we hit a wall. Somewhere along the way, the circumstances of life start getting their chokehold on us. Or somewhere along the way, our hearts get a little numb because of some of the decisions we've been making. Somewhere along the way, we hit depression. Somewhere along the way, something significant happens in our family. A husband leaves, a wife leaves, a child dies. Some discipline, a job can't be found. And it feels like the circumstances of life are starting to put their chokehold on us and and we pay a price spiritually. We begin to ask questions. And those questions are totally fine to ask. 
But our spirit needs to be revived. Here's what these two stories have to do with us. We're going to climb a mountain together. We're going to climb a mountain together and ask God to revive us and refresh us and renew us. Because many of us are weary. Many of us are hurting. Many of us need to encounter the God in the book of Romans. The God who reveals his righteousness to us through his son, Jesus Christ. This letter, written to a church in Rome from a pioneer missionary. By the way, you know he never made it to Spain? He never makes it to Spain. He gets to Rome, but he's under house arrest. And from what we can gather, he's executed in Rome. So did God want Paul to get to Spain... Or did God want Paul to write the letter of Romans? Isn't it funny how we have our dreams and our agendas and God allows our dreams to fuel things that he's got on his mind as well? This letter has been a source of renewal and revival for people for hundreds of years. Men like Augustine. Augustine was a man, as he wrote in his book called The Confessions, Augustine says that he was like a man who was scratching the itching sores of lust. What he means is that he was overcome with sexual lust. He had multiple affairs. He fathered a child out of wedlock. His mother was distraught, was praying for him, and Augustine didn't want to have anything to do with God. He's on business in Milan, He's in the backyard of his friend's house, sitting in a garden. Across the hedge, there are children playing, and they're singing a children's song. And they're singing this line over and over again. Pick it up and read it. 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 And Augustine looks next to him, and there's a scroll. He picks it up and reads it. He opens the scroll, and he opens the scroll... So Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. And he reads, Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And Augustine would write in his confessions, No further would I read, nor did I need to. At once, at the end of the sentence, a clear light flooded my heart, and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. Augustine would become the brightest theological mind in the first millennium. And then fast forward to the year 1515. Many of you know that the name Martin Luther... Luther happens to be teaching on the book of Romans. He's teaching about the righteousness of God. And Luther Luther writes, he says, I greatly desired to understand Paul's letter to the Romans, and nothing barred the way, save one expression, the righteousness of God. 
For I understood it to signify that that righteousness whereby, whereby God is righteous and he acts righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I thought about this until I took hold of the truth. That the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. At which I felt myself to be born again and to have passed through the open doors to paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new significance. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became for me indescribably sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul, he's referring to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the just shall live by faith, or the righteous will live by faith, became for me a gateway to heaven. And the Reformation was born. A hundred years later, there was a man named John Bunyan who was thrown into prison for preaching the gospel in England. He's thrown into prison. He reads the book of Romans and writes an allegory called Pilgrim's Progress. The number one best-selling book in world history is the Bible. The number two best-selling book in world history is Pilgrim's Progress. A hundred years later, John Wesley is drugged to a church meeting. Maybe you got drugged to church today. Wesley got drugged to, church, to a church meeting on Aldersgate Street in London. He's sitting there. He doesn't want to be there. And someone is up front with a book. It's Luther's commentary on Romans. And they're just reading the preface to the commentary on Romans. And Wesley, in his journal on May 24th, 1738, says about a quarter before 9 p.m., while this man was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation. And Wesley would lead the great awakening in the 18th century. You could fast forward to a guy like Karl Barth, shortly after World War I, who's pastoring a church. He feels overwhelmed, so he, he's sitting under an apple tree, he's reading the book of Romans, and it sparks in him a desire to study the book, and he ends up writing a commentary on the entire book, and it transforms him, transforms who he is, and he becomes a bastion for truth and grace in a season of liberalism in Germany between World War I and World War II. Go to 1970s. There's a Vietnamese prisoner in a prisoner of war camp. His job is to clean the latrines. So he takes his job, and there's so much boredom in the camp, he, he, he takes the job, and, and he's working at that job, and one day as he's cleaning out this disgusting area, he, he notices that the paper that's used uh, in this one latrine is pages from a book. So with nothing to do in camp, he washes the pages and keeps them, dries them out. He collects them over weeks and months, and it turns out to be the book of Romans. And this Vietnamese prisoner gives his life to Christ. By the way, travels to the U.S., goes to college, becomes a missionary, and goes back to Vietnam. This letter has been a source of renewal, a source of refreshment, spiritual refreshment, a source of revival for centuries. 
And so I say to you, let's climb the mountain. Let's encounter the God of the book of Romans. Let's allow him to refresh and revive. I wonder what he will do. I wonder what his dreams are. That is the tale that we have fallen into.